I want to welcome Agile XRM to the podcast. I've known the people at Agile XRM for the past 12 years. I've seen how their business process management tool can add massive value to complex organizational processes in sectors such as finance and government. If you have complex processes or a need for dialogues on the Power Platform or Dynamics 365, take a look at how this BPM tool can add value. You can find them at agilexrm.com or check out the show notes for more details. Welcome to the Power 365 show, where I interview staff at Microsoft across the Power Platform and Dynamics 365 technology stack. I hope you'll find this podcast educational and inspire you to do more with this great technology. Now, let's get on with the show. Today's guest is from France. He works at Microsoft as a group product manager for AI Builder and Power Automate. He is working on democratizing access to AI technology with no code. You can find links to his bio and socials in the show notes for this episode, as always. Welcome to the show, Gwenelle. Thank you. Hi, Mark. Thank you for having me. Did I pronounce your name right? Yes, Gwenelle, or Gwen for short, is fine as well. Awesome. Well, good to have you on the show. What part of France are you from? I am from Paris, Paris, France. Awesome. And you've lived there all your life? No, I have a pretty multicultural background. So I was born in Hong Kong, actually. And then wow. I grew up in the United States, in New York. Mm-hmm. And I've been in France for quite a while now, about 20 years. So back in France. But I am French originally. <laughs> Would you call yourself a Parisian? Yes. A Excellent. multicultural Parisian a citizen of the world. <laughs> nice. Now, when you said Hong Kong, that interests me because I've done a lot of work in Hong Kong in my career. What part of Hong Kong were you in and why were you born in Hong Kong? Oh, I don't actually know. Remember, I left when I was three. So mm-hmm. my family went abroad, lived in Asia for many years. And so, yeah, both myself and my sister are born over in Asia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, traveled a bit. Hong Kong, Singapore, Australia. Uh, but yeah, I was very small. So I remember not much of it. Yes. Unfortunately. Have you ever been back to Hong Kong? I did, I did, I did. I went back a few years ago. Interesting to kind of go back on the motherland or your birthland. So yeah, that was quite something. Yeah, I love Hong Kong. I love it. I love spending time there. It's such a great city. And I'm talking about really the island, being out on the island rather than the mainland part of Hong Kong is where I've spent most of my time. But yeah, definitely love it. Tell me about food, family, and fun when you are not working when you're not focused on your xbox core or something like that what are you up to (laughs) so i have a family which keeps me quite busy with the three young children and fun i love music so yeah still play a bit of guitar in bands kind of here and there but yeah i think progressively over the years work and family have supplanted any of my efforts in terms of music but yeah Mm. this is what i enjoy for fun and then sports as well Enjoy a lot of uh, basketball and, and, and running as well. Okay, okay. Tell me top five things to do in Paris that are not the typical, you know, Louvre, Eiffel Tower, Moulin Rouge, Montmartre, or Notre Dame, or <laughs> Cruise on the Seine. Don't give me any of those. I've done all those. Tell me the five hidden secrets of Paris. I would say the the Microsoft Office is maybe a hidden secret, but okay. I, I don't nice. know if that would be a, no, that's good. So much enjoyable. Yeah, I mean, you have to go up to kind of the you know where the kind of the real Parisians go to hang out. Maybe a little bit up north in the north of Paris mm-hmm. areas, you know, around maybe République, Oberkampf, 
some places maybe in the 18th. So yeah, there's a very vibrant nightlife in Paris. So yeah, there's definitely lots of things to do there. And yeah, there's, I mean, the Louvre, obviously a famous museum, but there's lots of mm -hmm. super interesting museums. There's, for example, Fondation Louis Vuitton. I was there very recently to catch a super interesting expo around works of Andy Warhol and Basquiat. There's mm -hmm. like very, I mean, super vibrant in terms of, of culture. So I would say, yeah, those are definitely some things to do. You definitely have lots of culture around theater as well, the arts. So, you know, maybe catch a play at the Comédie Française, some classic French theater. And yeah, there's definitely some interesting areas to kind of go. There's lots of rooftop places, rooftop terraces mm -hmm. that are starting up in Paris. So nice. Yeah, that'd be interesting to catch. Excellent. I'll be listening to this back to note all those. And <laughs> on the next time I'm in France, there's so much more of France I want to explore. I've been a lot in the south of France. Yep. You know, stayed there for some time. And, you know, I haven't been to Champagne, which I feel is, is shocking, being that my wife and I both love our champagnes. And there's a couple of UNESCO World Heritage sites, I think, up around that region as well that are a must-see at some point. And then, of course, the cheeses. Oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> France so and cheese, of, you know. Cheeses. Champagne is yes. amazing. When I, I went there, I felt like every occasion they just drink champagne. It's like instead of having a bottle of water, hey, champagne. It's lovely. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. It's wonderful there. I was in a wine bar in London, and we'd been drinking wine, you know, all evening bottles. I was with a friend that was very much into his French wines. We wanted to switch gears, and so we needed a palate cleanser. And we asked their host, what do you recommend as a palate cleanser? And he was like, oh, champagne. <laughs> so, <laughs> so champagne's a great palate, palate cleanser. cleanser <laughs> I know, I know. And my friend was like, oh, no, 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 let's extreme. You know, I'm like, no, let's do it. So he had an expensive bottle of champagne and then switched gears onto another variety of wine. So. It was superb. Gaming. Are you a gamer? Uh, I used to be, but I'm not so much of a gamer. I used to work in the Xbox division, actually. Yeah. For many years, we were working on a media service for Xbox. And so mm -hmm. I had lots of great perks there of you know, yeah. getting access to Xbox and a ton of games. I bet. So that's maybe the period where I was mostly a gamer, but I've lessened my, my gaming activity quite drastically. Yeah. I see Saatchi has just did a big promotion of Starfield yeah. being released. And I've spent probably five minutes before being called away by children to in it. And I'm looking for a, a window, you know, to get some good game time in because that just looks like an epic new game that's out. Now I'm not on Xbox. I've never really taken, I've owned Xbox consoles. I've won them in Microsoft competitions and sold them pretty quickly because I'm more on a PC as my, my preference when it comes to gaming. So, The, the mouse and keyboard. <laughs> yeah, yep. yeah, rather than a controller. Okay, let's get on to the meat and potatoes of the show, which is yep. around your area of expertise. So just tell us a bit about, before we get there, how did you get to where you are at Microsoft? What was your IT tech journey outside of Microsoft, then inside of Microsoft? And bring us right up to date about the area that you focus on inside the tech stack. Yeah. So, I mean, I studied computer science, I think, as probably a lot of folks at Microsoft. I started my career in startups. Paris, another thing about Paris, super vibrant tech startup ecosystem. Awesome. So I spent about kind of five years in that ecosystem. We were working on a software distribution 
actually for game companies and software publishers, so not very far away from the realm of Microsoft. And then, yeah, I kind of wanted to see a bigger structure, <laughs> for better or for worse. I think one of the things that I loved about startup was everything is going super fast, but at the same time, it's kind of crazy with no processes at all. And I just wanted to see kind of the other side of the house to be able to grow uh, kind of personally. So on a different route, I went to Accenture for a little while mm -hmm. and then uh, Microsoft. So I kind of saw lots of different flavors of the uh, IT software and services industry. And I started as a PM, as a product manager, individual contributor, in the Xbox division, yeah, working on media. Um, so yeah, historically, there's a team of research and development for IT development in Paris officers for Microsoft, the Microsoft Engineering Center. And we focused over the years on different types of products. And a couple years back, I think there was a pretty strong sense to put a ton of resources within Microsoft to focus on this kind of vibrant new ecosystem around power platform and dynamics and creating, uh, you know, innovative business solutions. And, you know, our team was brought in, into the mix and welcomed that change. It felt like very core to Microsoft's kind of core business, which maybe media, music, and video is a little bit further away from that core. So I welcomed that change and have been there for about, I think, probably like four or five years now. And so I've done, I think, different things aside from I see a product manager over the years, worked into being a product lead. I went into engineering division for a little while as well, managing engineering managers. And I went back to PM because I feel like that's where I can bring the most value, defining product and talking to customers and solving problems for customers is what I get a kick out of uh, the most. That is epic. And you know what, I, an observation I've made about Microsoft, and I've been in BizApps since 2003, so 20 years now, is I noticed in more recent times this laser focus on customer yeah. within the, the team. And I think it's creating great results, you know, being able to pivot and accommodate and set direction based on customer need. Tell me about the specific area that you're working on at the moment, as in, so what are you responsible for? What's your tech focus within Microsoft? Sure. So within the Power Platform, as you probably know, we have different types of products. And then we also have shared capabilities that are distributed across different product surfaces, like Dataverse being one of them, the kind of a foundational data layer for a lot of the different apps connectors as well. And then AI Builder is another one. And so I'm responsible for AI Builder. AI Builder is conceptually kind of the AI platform that other products can use within the Power Platform. And it gives the citizen developers access to a ton of AI capabilities that are mostly powered by Microsoft's Azure's own AI models that have been developed by Microsoft Research. And we give makers access to those models in a low-code, no-code form factor. So it's very easy for them to leverage these capabilities, to insert them, for example, in the applications that they're building, in the workflows that they're building, essentially to make those solutions you know, more powerful than the standard authoring. Of course, now, you know, as things are evolving, AI is kind of infused everywhere, an integral part of, of all products. But we still have that kind of AI customization, AI building type of focus in our product layer. So... You obviously support, when we look at the five apps that wrap the Power Platform, the five technologies, we've got Power Apps, we've got Power Automate, 
Power BI, Power Virtual Agents, and Power Pages. Which ones does AI Builder specifically support? So right now, we're specifically integrated in Power Automate and Power Apps. Mm -hmm. And we have a lot of focus on Power Automate, a short term. Mm -hmm. I think that's where a lot of users get the most tangible value out of using AI is also in the context of automation. And so we have lots of different AI capabilities that people infuse as part of their workflows to be able to automate really in an end-to-end workflow, an end-to-end working process, to be able to automate mm-hmm. tasks that they didn't think were automatable before. For example, you know, reading a document and understanding the context of the document, classifying the document, extracting data from a document, things that are now feasible with AI that before people had to do as part of a manual task. So mm-hmm. those two are the primary products in which we're in, and, and I think lots of focus on Power Automate specifically. Yeah. Tell me about the models that are there just refresh me on the ones I'm familiar with a few of them, about four of them, but what are the models that are there straight away? And if you like the use cases that are supported by AI Builder. Right. So there's document processing, I think is a very mm-hmm. popular use case. Yep. So that's using Azure document intelligence in the background, but there's several pre-built model capabilities that allow mm-hmm. you to automatically extract data from things like an invoice, a receipt. Mm-hmm an identity document, for example. Yes. And then if you want to process a document type that is a very specific format or a different unique maybe company format, Mm -hmm. you can build a custom model. So essentially there's a training interface that allows you to submit your data set with examples Mm -hmm. of the types of documents that you want to extract. And you label the different elements on the page. And once you do that for a couple documents, you end up having an AI model that's trained and that you can use to automatically extract content from those custom documents. So documents is one area. There's another area around text processing. Mm -hmm. And so the typical scenario here is going to be, for example, email processing. You have an email comes in and you have a very unstructured document Mm -hmm. format. So not, you know, well-defined grid or tables where Mm -hmm. items are Mm -hmm. all kind of sorted uh, with a label, a totally free-flowing unstructured text. And you still can train an AI model to understand that, extract data from that, classify that. And so typically in a workflow, when an email Mm -hmm. comes in, instead of having somebody spend a lot of time analyzing the email, figuring out what it's about, who it's destined for, you could do that automatically, parse the email, extract key points, forward it to the right person. And then even now with GPT, go even further, maybe draft even a response that somebody can Mm -hmm. have a look at and iterate on and use as kind of a building block to streamline uh, customer interactions. So text processing and now evolving rapidly towards GPT, which Mm -hmm. is a new capability that's been available. And then still more areas, one around object detection. So essentially image processing is kind of the key, Mm -hmm. the key target scenario there. Lots of manufacturing industry scenarios around analyzing the content in in an image and -hmm. then structured data scenarios to predict outcomes based on historical data. So those are kind of the four broad categories, I think. Do you have sentiment analysis? Yes, yes. So that is one of the text processing capabilities. Yes. So, yes. So you mentioned document, you know, part, and recently looked closely at Microsoft Syntex, which is, you know, Microsoft's tool around AI in the context of documents, in the context where, you know, you combine it with SharePoint. And we're talking about, you know, for example, 
legal firms, insurance companies, et cetera, large document type led organizations, maybe in the medical industry. Is there any interconnection between the Syntex products and AI Builder and what you can do there? Yeah, absolutely. Is it an on-ramp to that product? Is it, you know, what are your thoughts? Yeah, no. So we have a partnership with the Syntex team. And Mm -hmm. so they leverage a lot of the same kind of -of out-of-the-box AI capabilities Mm -hmm. that we give Power Platform customers access to, except they give those you know, the users that are in M365 and SharePoint access to those capabilities. Yes. When it comes to building out custom models to custom training a model, they actually embed an AI builder model creation experience. So we've partnered with them essentially to embed our, our AI custom model interface. Mm-hmm. And so users can go a step further. If they have a unique document that they want to process, they can use an AI builder model in the context of their SharePoint library. So yeah, we have a very close partnership with them. That's working great. I think the scenarios are very similar. I would say maybe the scenarios, SharePoint syntax are a little bit closer in my mind, at least to uh, knowledge management, information sharing. Yes, yeah, whereas ours is more of kind of a end-to-end workflow where you're taking data from one end Mm -hmm. and kind of posting it in another system. So they're very similar and linked in the in the interface, but the workflows are a little bit different. Yeah. Interesting. You know, now that generative AI has come into the game, and so let's take of pre-December 2022 AI builder to post-December AI 2022, and I'm using that date loosely, but the explosion of with what OpenAI did in bringing uh, ChatGPT to the public, how has that changed your thinking and application inside of AI Builder? Yeah, I think it's changed everything. OpenAI did, which was incredible, on top of the the actual power of the model, is they built a very unique user interface, in my mind, that made it super accessible to go interact with these models because the technology had already been there you know, for a couple months before, but they really created that sort of immersive chat experience where anybody can use the product. And so that really boosted up, I think, the importance given to AI models and completely shifted, I think, how we think about AI. You know, it's not no longer a kind of a a custom scenario or kind of an advanced scenario. It's an inherent part of everything we do in the Power Platform and at Microsoft, obviously. So I think that has changed also some of the customer perspective around that, for sure. And I think from an AI builder-specific kind of point of view, it's changed how we think about the model training experience, where I think in the past, we had a lot of fit-for-purpose models that were good at doing mm-hmm. you know, one specific thing. And if you wanted to build a custom version of that, you would have to feed it your data set, label items, spend time you know, training the model, keeping the model fresh. And now with GPT, it's kind of a very different ballpark. You have very generative general-purpose model that can do a wide range of things, in some cases even better than some of the fit-for-purpose models. And so I think we're probably seeing a shift towards that model creation experience where hopefully in the future, you know, we will be able to use GPT to do much more than text processing tasks, but also maybe extracting content for documents. And that will, you know, simplify the model tree creation process for makers. I think we're not quite there yet. A lot of these fit-for-purpose models Obviously, I think they run probably faster and at a more efficient cost than GPT, mm-hmm. but perhaps we'll get there over time. <laughs> so as of today, there's nothing that 
correct me if I'm wrong, there's nothing in Private Preview or GA yet in AI Builder that is using generative AI. But no, so there is. So oh, okay. we've created a, a GPT action mm-hmm. and the associated prompt building experience mm-hmm. in AI Builder. So essentially, you can go create a custom GPT prompt and you can save that as a function of sorts that you can mm-hmm. reuse across the different elements of the platform. And so in Power Automate and Power Apps. And that is available in preview form today for mm-hmm. US customers. Yes. We are currently in the process of expanding geos as we get, obviously, um, you know, more GPUs available to run these uh, powerful models and mm-hmm. have those be available locally across the globe. And we are working on making that publicly available and getting towards GA states. So that will be, should be shortly later this year. Awesome. Where does AI co-pilot, where does co-pilot come into the mix in the context of AI builder or doesn't it? Yeah. So co-pilot, I think obviously folks have seen the news. It is very much a kind of a central theme that we are rallying towards and that customers see a ton of value in already. You know, it is an assistant that can help you do multitude of, of tasks. I think we're already seeing in early signs that people who use co-pilots are more productive, they get work done faster, and they're happier mm-hmm. with the products. And so that is definitely a strong part, I think, of our AI story within the Power Platform is to have a build a world where makers and users can have co-pilots all across the different types of business solutions that they develop to help them do things you know, better and quicker. And so AI Builder is, I think, not yet part of the co-pilot ecosystem, mm-hmm. but we're certainly working towards that goal to give users you know, the ability to customize some of the underlying co-pilot behaviors. Yeah. With the AI Builder. Excellent. Tell me about data privacy and security. I know it's a big area, but just really your lens on it. And yeah, I mean, Satya recently announced, of course, the whole copyright side of things that Microsoft is taking responsibility, which of course sets a lot of customers at ease. They don't have to be concerned about that. It wasn't Satya, it was, was it Brad Smith that announced that? It might have been, or Justin? I can't remember. But tell me about yeah, data privacy and security from the way you're thinking of AI, its growth, its proliferation, and what are you thinking in that context? Yeah, for sure. So I think it's a definitely a massive part about what we do. We want to give access to customers to these amazing AI capabilities, but for sure, we want to be able to do it responsibly. I think for one, to kind of prevent any sort of you know, misuse of the capability. So, you know, we want the content to be accurate and just. And so there's a certain amount of responsible AI, you know, regulations that we're uh, putting forward in the product to encourage human review. Mm-hmm. But in terms of, you know, security and maybe privacy more specifically, I would say probably the key part is around the data that you send to these co-pilots and to these AI systems. One of the key principles I think that we have at, at Microsoft is that we don't use the data that you send to the model to kind of retrain and improve the model. Mm-hmm. I think that's a key kind of customer point that comes up in very many customer interactions is, you know, what yes. happens to my data? Will my data end up in some other, you know, kind of customer's cloud? Mm-hmm. Will that improve the model? Will other customers know, you know, how 
about my own data and you know absolutely not you know your data is your data we keep that private we don't yeah. use your data to retrain or improve your model and the underlying models are part of your your microsoft cloud they are your intellectual yeah. property and we don't use that for anything else so in that training side, I just want to clarify something there. You're not using it to retrain the generative AI model, the one that might come from Meta or OpenAI, et cetera. But there would be a training or a grounding in your own data, right, that it does understand your data, so how your application of it would get smarter over time in the context of your own organization, your own data. What's not been done is that used to train back the master models or that have been born onto the platform. Is that right? Uh, yeah, correct. At least not in the capabilities that are in product now. Yeah. But yeah, that's the general idea is you're sending an instruction to the model through the form of the prompt, and then you're mm-hmm. giving data essentially to the, to the model to be able to ground that information to a specific context or with a specific output. But you're not actually custom training the model or fine-tuning the model in itself. Yeah. Final question. ChatGPT, what are your thoughts? How are you applying it in your own life? You know, how you personally, outside of, you know, your tech career in Microsoft, what are your observations about the future of AI? Are you excited? Are you worried about a dystopian future? Are you excited about a utopian future? What are your thoughts? What's your research? What are you thinking? Yeah, I mean, I'm very excited about ChatGPT and the future of generative AI. I think, you know, it is a tool. And so you can use a tool for good, for bad. And so that's why it's important that you have the right guardrails to prevent malicious use. But the realm of the things that you can do with this and the speed at which it's evolving is quite mind-blowing. I use it a lot for content generation, I think, as Mm -hmm. a starting point Yep. to kind of sometimes, you know, get ideas running or get the flow going. Obviously, you know, also the new uh, sort of Bing with GPT integration, mm-hmm. I find as a much more valuable search tool than the traditional web search. Yes. So I use that a lot as a means to kind of tailor the output. And that is, I found really a very great time saver and a great learning tool as well. I think, I feel like I learn faster when I have mm-hmm. the content that's already produced the way that suits the information that I was looking for, instead of having me to go through, you know, parse different sources and yeah, I use a lot for those specific purposes. And yeah, I mean, I think there's lots of different applications, obviously, and the kind of the, it's a little bit too early to know, you know, how, how this will go. I think the spectrum of using AI to kind of solve uh, humanity's most pressing problems around, around research in the medical field, I think are the sort of the best spectrum of where it can go. I think yeah, there's very interesting discussions also with, with Sam Altman, where he's kind of yeah. portraying this and it is a tool and so it could be used for harm and misuse as well i'm confident mm-hmm. in if we have a kind of a common legislation and the right sort of safeguards that the tool can be used for good and that we can use it to augment you know human capabilities rather than the yeah. opposite well now it's been a pleasure to have you on the show thanks for coming on thank you mark appreciate it thank you thank you very much it's been a pleasure as well Hey, thanks for listening. I'm your host, business application MVP, Mark Smith, otherwise known as the NZ365 guy. If there's a guest you'd like to see on the show from Microsoft, please message me on LinkedIn. If you want to be a supporter of the show, please check out buymeacoffee.com forward slash NZ365 guy. How will you create on the Power Platform today? Ciao.